This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. We are proudly sponsored by Peanut, the app that helps you meet like-minded women who are trying to conceive. It provides a safe space for women to build friendships, ask questions and find support. Peanut introduces you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in their journey. They provide access to a community who are there to listen, share information and offer valuable advice. Whether it's learning more about issues that affect fertility or support following pregnancy loss and miscarriage, Peanut is a place to connect with women who understand. Here at The Worst Girl Gang Ever, we strive to open up the dialogue surrounding miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Peanut shares this ethos and we recommend downloading their app for more advice, information and support. You can download their app for free. All you need to do is head to peanut.app.link forward slash girl gang or find it in your app store. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to the worst girl gang ever. We are joined here this evening by Katie Uber Barons Club Linderman. Thanks so much for joining us, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. When we were messaging on Instagram, you said about a campaign that you're running. So right at the moment, I've just been a part of a new film that's coming out. Actually, it's coming out today, the 1st of October, as we're recording. So when this goes out, it will definitely be out. Hollywood blockbuster? Or? Uh, it's an Australian documentary. Um, so it's only out in Australia, as far as I know, on a, a kind of local streaming service, which is kind of like Netflix, called Stan. Um, okay. It's called Misunderstandings of Miscarriage. Mm. And it's a documentary led by a wonderful woman. She's a kind of model and actress. She was in X-Men called Tahina McManus. And she actually started to film her when she had one of her uh, miscarriage. She actually started to record footage of it and started, you know, just started to talk about it because she felt that actually as all the stuff, the great stuff that you're doing, that we don't have a conversation about it. Yeah. And this then became not just from her story, and again, it follows her story and throughout her miscarriages and then subsequent pregnancy and, and so on, but lots and lots of different women's stories. And, you know, although it's filmed in Australia, I was lucky enough to be able to take part. And it's really interesting. So the other thing that's just gone out was um, a thing on 60 Minutes Australia, which is, again, looking at the different stories of miscarriage. And I think the thing that was interesting, which I was really glad to be a part of was that they have lots and lots of different stories and lots of different endings right. or at least lots of different points in the journey yeah so there is stories where you follow people who go on to have their rainbow babies and other people who have difficult pregnancies and then there's also talking about what happens when you don't 
end yeah. up with a rainbow baby um, because that's a real possibility yeah exactly and there's there's a fantastic article that was written for Tommy's by Jodie Day who writes um who's written a fantastic book about involuntary childlessness and she's kind of uh, a figurehead for the the movement of women who are childless not by choice she's uh-huh. done a fantastic TEDx talk and she wrote an article about what happens for, for when women don't you know women and couples don't get their rainbow baby because there's sort of it's sort of there isn't a place in the narrative because yeah. we like to have the narrative of we all like you know, the happy ending don't we we all like the happy ending and the thing is is that when we all we ever hear is fairy tales and tales yeah. of redemption it doesn't make any space for tales of survival uh-huh. and when you're in this as we all know when you're in the, the darkness and the despair of pregnancy or infertility fertility issues the only way that out that is presented to you is having a baby you know a live birth taking your take-home baby and so for me I was going well when you're in it going well what happens if I don't like do people get through this because you only ever hear about the stories of people who do you know we love the myth of the persistent patient you know the person who they've been trying for 17 years and had 15 IVF cycles and she had block tubes and he had one ball and a low sperm count they stopped trying and went on the adoption list and went on holiday and got drunk and she snorted some oregano and licked a tortoise and oh my god they have quadruplets never give up drank a bit of unicorn piss bob's your uncle oh yeah yeah absolutely gotta love the uh the unicorn piss that's such an interesting point isn't it because i think we we grow up it's i'm gonna say it again because i believe strongly in it with unrealistic expectations and i think this whole thing is about managing expectations and you're right there is no place in any narrative of fertility and struggle for someone who doesn't end up having children yeah that's not it's almost like that is so horrendous to think about is that when someone starts to say but it might not happen for me if I go shh shh because if you say it shh no don't don't just go and find the unicorn piss Do you know what yeah, I mean? That, but there's, there's, yeah, it's, 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 it's absolutely so terrible true. that it's quiet. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that you know everybody always wants to say to you, "Stay strong, you'll get there. It'll all yeah, it happen. It will happen. Baby in your arms. It'll happen for you. Yeah. I know it will." And the fact is, what a load of rubbish. They don't know, do they? No, no one the knows. Fact, the fact is, is that yes, statistically, with persistence, and I'm doing bunny ears, quote unquote. <laughs> most couples the with pregnancy loss, if you're fertile, as in you can get pregnant. But, you know, if you keep going, if you keep, you know, eventually you might roll the dice and lots of people do, especially also if you have fertility issues as well as issues getting pregnant as well as staying pregnant. The idea that if we talk about giving up, whereas the fact is, is that physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, there's people say persistent at what cost. And as though if you didn't get it, you didn't want it enough because if you just did it, you know, if you'd have just kept going you would have, you know, you would have succeeded. And the fact is, is that ultimately it comes down to two things and really one thing, science and nature. And we have this kind of myth that science is this all encompassing, you know, panacea, this wonder of reproductive technology, you know, an IVF and reproductive is amazing and it can and does result in babies. But ultimately most of reproductive medicine is this black box. It's a black art. I mean, the fact is, is that one in four pregnancies ending in loss hasn't really changed over yeah. however many yeah. years Just you know and the low success rate the IVF is more yeah. likely to fail than succeed because ultimately 
it's nature. And it kind of, you know, I remember saying to my husband, and he goes, yeah, but it has to be like that because otherwise we'd be in some dystopian world. But it's really hard to accept that we yeah, just course. don't. And sometimes you have shitty luck. Mm, it's yeah. just, we don't like, we don't, it's scary to say that because people go, oh, but that might be me. And mm. different people deal with things in different ways. So it is totally okay for people to, you know, who do want to cocoon themselves and you know to be in that kind of bubble and that's fine I'm not doing that down everybody you just have do you do you yeah, you do whatever yeah. you need but for me what was so horrible was this sense of going but there's a very real possibility that I'm not going to get there and what happens you yeah. know and I'm mm. scared and it's not the only narrative was hope and positivity and baby dust and unicorn piss. <laughs> and for me, I was my infertility journey was actually relatively short, but sharp because I happened to have a very severe issue that, you know, bounced around doctors on both sides of the Atlantic. And the fact was, was that I wasn't hopeful. I wasn't optimistic. And I was really scared. And I was like, this is really shit. Yeah. This, yeah. And there was, I wasn't ashamed of infertility or pregnancy loss, but I was ashamed of all the horrible feelings that came yeah. with it. And, you know, yeah. the, the jealousy and the anger, anger and the, the self-loathing and you know everything that goes with it. And it, as you, you know, the great stuff that you're doing with this podcast, it's only when you hear other stories and you speak to other members of this club that you can, yeah. oh, thank God it's not just me. Yeah, yeah. Thank God it's I'm not normal. a horrible person. Or yeah. thank yeah. God there are other horrible people like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it. Because, because the fact is, there was a brilliant, there's a brilliant woman, she's called Tracy Sainsbury, and she's a fertility counsellor. And one of the things that really stuck with me that she said, she said, look, all of this is an entirely normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Now, yeah. the fact is, it is normal in the sense that it's common, but it's not normal in the sense that, that I feel that I'm defective. I'm supposed yeah. to be able to have yeah. children whether or not I choose to do so. And I can't. So yeah. it, it, it feels not normal because the normal thing is to be able to have children. Yeah. There's this real tension between going, as you know, saying, oh, it's one in four, it's really common. Well, just because it's really common doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah. As I've yeah. said before, you don't say to someone, don't worry, I'm sorry your husband cheated on you, but, you know, divorce is really common and I'm sure you can, you know, at least someone yeah. can marry, you know, at least you knew you got married. I'm sure you'll find <laughs> someone again, but we do this with baby loss. Yeah. yeah. But it's all, it's worth noting that it's one in four pregnancies, not one in four people. Yes, so it's actually, one in four pregnancies. Yeah. So statistically, lots of, that's the thing is is that most not most you know but an awful lot of people have experienced it you know there's yeah. some people who've had lots of pregnancies and none but there are lots of people who've had many and as I'm sure you know it was only when I started to kind of come out the closet so many people mm. who I'd seen on Facebook as the kind of smug for you with them with their beautiful children mm. blah, 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 that I then found out that oh yes they they'd been through yeah. hell to get there that yeah. they had oh it took us we had three miscarriages in between them or yeah it took five IVF cycles and it's like you know we, we feel so lonely but actually, we're all surrounded by members of the same club, but yeah. no one will talk about um, it. That's absolutely nail on head there, Katie, because did you see the Instagram post that Chrissy Teigen posted yes. this morning, right? Yes. So she posted that and she has had 8 million people acknowledge her post, right? 8 million. So there was 8 million people since this morning that have read something and that have not necessarily been through it themselves, but have sympathised with that situation enough to do something about it, which means this subject as a whole is absolutely huge. 
Because yeah. those it, people it is, are yeah. not are not like reading it and scrolling past. Those people are going, that shit. That's so Except shit. Except that, and the thing that's is that is is exactly is also the reaction where she's been really open. And again, because this is how she you know she lives her life, and there's been you know some reaction. I think I saw that it was on Loose Women and in the TV, but also people have gone, "Ooh, why is she sharing it? Isn't that a bit yeah. much?" You know, and it's this thing of going. And I've written about this, and I know you talk about it. You know, the twelve week rule, but even the, the idea that it's at any stage that oh, it's a bit personal. Should you really be sharing that? Mm-hmm. And going well, why not? Not why not? Yeah. Again, some people. People, you know, people go, oh, I wouldn't do that. Fine. You Fine, don't yeah. have do to. Yeah. You don't have to. No one's Please making God, you it never do happens it. to yeah. you. No one's making yeah. you do it. And again, so my whole thing is around the difference between privacy and secrecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Privacy is voluntary. It's yeah. something that you choose, where you choose to keep information within certain, you know, within certain people or within certain boundaries. Secrecy is involuntary. Yeah. It's when you feel obliged to to keep something private because of the consequences of what if somebody knows so privacy absolutely you know you should there's no right or wrong way some people go I don't want to say anything and other people you know would like to my thing is as as we all know is feeling able to say something and to be supported without people reacting as though you've done something wrong by talking about it. Yeah. We actually, we, we did a post, when was it? It was quite a while ago, 21st of July, that says the privacy of miscarriage should be a choice, not an instruction. Yes, that. Yeah. (laughs) Period. Yes, period. (laughs) And it's so true, isn't it? And I don't want, I've got two, two girls and the thought of them growing up in a world where they're worried about saying anything about their body or their fertility or it's just horrid that's what I want to help in dismantle this whole thing and rebuilding it into you know something that actually works for women rather than something that's bloody basically about other people's discomfort yeah totally probably men's yeah but I also think you're totally (laughs) right as well is about being prepared and actually and it's you know saying period and bloody so not just the fact that it happens but actually the reality because Mm. how many people we're told, oh, it'll just be, you know, it's just like a heavy period. Yeah. And we're woefully unprepared for the reality, you know, and it's different for everybody. But so, you know, you must have heard so many stories and I've heard so many stories of people who, you know, who thought, my God, I'm dying or had yeah. no idea. We're not prepared. So many times have heard that. I thought I was dying. Yeah. I thought I was dying or weren't prepared. And I'm sorry, you know, trigger warning that, that they would, that they would pass a sack. They weren't yeah. told that, that, you know, that that was going to happen or that it could be like mini labour or what to look out for. So, or the fact that the amount of blood that's involved or what's involved. So people, you know, if it's not awful enough to then think, oh my God, am I dying? Because you're not, don't know the reality. So, you know, there's a huge thing, as you know, about at work and people sort of think, hang on, don't don't just go and have it. It's like, no, 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 this can last days, weeks. It's crazy as well because we talked about it during our um, podcast with Noma in the fact that when I had my miscarriage and I had the medical management to start with before it went wrong and... I was, if you feel the need to push, push. And I was thinking, but I'm really, it's really early. Why would I need to push? Surely it's not going to be that big. And I completely freaked out. Yeah. Thinking, oh my God, am I going to give birth to a, to a, is it going to be like a, a baby? But I was yeah. so embarrassed that I didn't know that. And I felt so strongly that I should have known what to expect that I didn't ask anyone. Yeah. 
And all that trauma is piled on top of you anyway in the situ- with the situation. And afterwards, I just thought, oh, God, just other people must be, if I feel like this, other people must feel like this. And it's yeah, horrible. Absolutely. So isolating. Mm. I think that's the thing is, is knowing the reality of it. And I think with all of that is, is being frank. So about the physicality of it and about the emotions, you know, so the things that you feel where you go, oh God, am I the only person that had to get off the bus because I saw a woman who was pregnant with 14 kids and I just wanted, I couldn't deal with it. Or, yeah. you know, that when you go, I couldn't be at a big family thing with everyone and their baby or their children because it was just so hard. And people who don't understand think you're overreacting. And then you start thinking, well, am I overreacting? Yeah. It's only when you could speak to other people and go no it's okay someone's I remember someone said to me you know you wouldn't say to a heroin addict go and hang around with a lot of people shooting up heroin but yeah. if you're there going through something and saying you, you know what if you need to remove yourself from that situation just yeah. do what you need to do yeah absolutely so Katie can you can you talk to us can you tell us about your story and how you arrived here yeah I'll try and do the edited highlights because it is Put it this way. So I went to the one of the you know the head, one of the lead scientist clinicians at the Tommy's National Miscarriage Research Centre in Coventry. Who's you know one of the leading experts in pregnancy loss. You know lots of the papers that are written about you know recurrent pregnancy loss are written by this guy. And he said, "You are the weirdest patient I've ever seen." Yeah, Charming. and strong. Strong. Yeah, strong. And, you know, other doctors have said, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm stumped and I'm not usually stumped. So the long and the short of it is, is I have problems with my uterus in that I have problems with my uterine lining. Nobody understands exactly what the pro- or what's causing. We know what the problem is. The problem is my lining doesn't grow, but also even when it does grow, it doesn't shed. So I don't get a bleed. It just right. sort of reabsorbs. So it's not Asherman syndrome, which is when you have scarring and mm-hmm. the lining just won't grow at all. Um, and Asherman's is often a result of having had DNCs. Okay. We honestly don't know. Something happened that I know I used to have bleeds and something happened when I came off the pill and I'd always previously had light periods, but normal periods, something happened. There was all sorts of very complicated things to do with thought. The reason we ended up doing IVF was because of my eggs, because we had polycystic ovarian syndrome. But then, I mean, you couldn't make this up. Then all my eggs disappeared and I had diminished ovarian reserve. So my first two IVF cycles, we you know, stimulated me as somebody that had hardly any eggs. And the first cycle was a write-off because all the embryos were rubbish. The second one was the shock when I started making loads and loads of embryos. And we were like, hang on, what's going on here? But we didn't expect, and my lining was a bit iffy for that one, but that one I got pregnant. And I was totally not expecting that. Because in my mind, I was like, right, okay, when can we do the next one? Yeah. And it had all been touch and goes to whether my lining would get over the line. So again, I was just sort of waiting for it to go wrong. We got to the first scan at like six and a half, you know, seven weeks, and there was a heartbeat. What the hell? And another scan, uh, you know, like just eight and a half, just before nine weeks, you know, heartbeat going strong, everything fantastic. And then at 10 weeks have what was going to be the, the harmony test and there was no heartbeat. You, you know very well that that thing of the, you know, the silence. And I saw immediately there was no heartbeat mm-hmm. and nobody would say anything in the room because, of course, she has to keep checking. But I was very lucky that um I discovered I didn't know this and it's just worth knowing private medical insurance doesn't cover anything to do with fertility or healthy pregnancies but lots of it does cover miscarriages 
So if you happen to have private medical insurance with work or something, it's worth it because I didn't. What that enabled me to do was I was able to get an ERPC, the surgery done the same day because I was just like, get it out. Um, But unfortunately, I was, it took another six weeks and another surgery to unpregnant me because I still had retained products. So, you know, as, as you guys have talked about, it's the the thing where your body still thinks you're pregnant, mm. but there's no baby. So I was walking around with this massive rack, these enormous knockers, and you know yeah. I looked pregnant. Oh, it's um, torture, isn't it? Yeah, and it's this weird, really fucked up thing where you're hoping for a negative pregnancy test. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's such a mindfuck, isn't it's it? It's such a mindfuck. Mind you're there going. I think I took more pregnancy tests hoping for a negative oh, than I yeah. had for a. Po- you know, it's really. I re- but I remember as well. No one told me that it might be positive. So they just said, when I had my, the original, I had like an emergency DNC in the end. Yeah. And then they said, oh, take a pregnancy test in three weeks and then give us a call and just let us know that you've done that. Did you think you were pregnant again? I thought I was pregnant again. Oh, man. Because I thought there was enough HCG. I thought maybe it had just topped, because it was a strong positive. Yeah. And I thought I must have just topped it up. I must be pregnant again. It's topped it up. So I went and I remember in the car on the way to this, fucking hospital that I hate now (laughs) just going maybe oh please please just let there be let there be and then I said to the woman I said is there any chance I could be pregnant again and she sort of laughed like Mm -hmm. it's very unlikely and I was like oh okay cool and then she's like oh no I'm afraid they've um they've missed a bit so you've retained about two centimeter bit of product of conception or whatever they say and I was just like how do you how do you do that and then they put me for another one with a camera yes yeah to make Um, sure they get it and I just actually at that point I said no I didn't want any more I was like no I'm not I I don't I don't want it and I had didn't you say why didn't you use the bloody camera the first time Yes, but they don't. No, this I is the thing. That, this I, is the thing that I have a real thing about is that again to do with you know Ashermans that you know DNC ERPC as is known is, is done blind, right? So it's done because that's kind of the way they do it. Is you, you use the tummy ultrasound and then they go in and they like with it the like, with like a Hoover. Yeah, basically they not know, like a they, Henry or anything. No, no, they kind of if, you know suck it, suck Dyson. Out the content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so for me, the reason I have retained products was because the gut, the doctor who did my surgery was my fertility doctor, and he knew I'd had lining issues. So he said I was so careful not okay. to scrape the bowl. But then when we saw the thing was, was I said I'm still having positives four weeks later. He was like, all right. So we did the blood test, and he went, it's very high. I, went, I did tell you, but there was nothing on ultrasound. So again, he went in with a camera, but. I understand the way they do that, but they don't tell. So again, the thing with Ashermans, it is very unlikely. It's like less than 1%, but it is more likely the more procedures you have. Yeah, I I didn't know that. It is not mentioned on the consents because it is considered so unlikely but also it is but it is a cumulative likelihood so particularly if you've had several before or the more you have the more yeah. it increases so you might make a different decision if you were told this might happen equally yeah. Yeah. with medical management it's sometimes possible that you might end up needing surgery so it's yeah it's i have understanding the different part you know and it's okay that they don't know you know we don't know what's going to happen yeah but at least to say look this happens this ha- you know it, this might happen these are the situations these are the pros and the cons if you have surgery this is what happened but this might and you happen. need to be when you're in that state you need to be talked through it like it yeah. probably somewhere in some sort of small print but you're not in that state that you're going oh yeah I'll just have a read of that but also when mm. my my medical management I have three sets of drugs yeah 
and it still didn't work. And I remember saying to them, like, how long will it take to work? And she was like, well, how long? I've got kids. She said, well, how long was your last labor? And I said, like two and a half hours. And she was like, oh, it'll be really quick, really quick. Oh, don't say anything. If you don't know, don't say anything. And then like 18 hours later, I'm thinking I've had three lots of drugs. Nothing has happened. I've I've just got a little bit of bleeding and a little bit of cramping. Like what's wrong? What's happened? What's gone wrong? And I said, does this, like, does it, how often does it work? And they said, oh, about 30% of the time. I was like, that's huge. 30% of the time is not something that you go, oh, we won't bother saying that. 30%. uh, It's like the thing where you go, oh, it's just a heavy period. And they go, oh, we don't want to worry. You know, yeah. but it, 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 it's just knowing the different, it's informed consent, right? Yeah. How can we make informed consent if we don't have the information? And it's, it's a, for us really to decide what's important. Because there's, a, there's a, literally, there's something I've been spending time with on kind of some of the fertility advocacy stuff I do, is that the definition of informed consent, there was actually, there was a, a legal case I'm not sure how many years ago, called Montgomery. And it was all about what makes informed consent for medical consent. And it's basically this uh, law case shifted the definition of informed consent from what the doctor, the clinician, thinks is a reasonable amount of information or the information that they think is reasonable to make that decision to saying what the patient considers reasonable information but we can't you know essentially it's still being made the amount that this is happening it seems that it isn't being reflected in terms of actually what do patients feel is necessary yeah because how can we make informed consent if clinicians are deciding for us yeah what they think is necessary information yeah Yeah, i think a, a lot of the time we're too scared nervous embarrassed to question them and to clarify things aren't we also 99% of us are not trained professionals so we go you know you you don't go to a doctor and then go well I don't think I do need that actually thank you very much you know Mm. you they're they're the professional they've gone to bloody god knows how many years of university a big conference run by imperial all about early pregnancy loss and pregnancy complications and the consultant who heads it up he also leads the um the tommy's miscarriage research center at imperial invited me to speak as a patient to talk about the patient experience to clinicians brilliant but it was really interesting because again he when we've been talking about stuff he said you want them to hear all of this stuff so this is the sort of stuff i want to say but but it's been really helpful also hearing their perspective back saying look they are so rushed mm. and they are under so much pressure. And this is, again, something that having spoken to also with Tommy's like the midwives and so on. And they said, actually, it's really awful sometimes if they're doing a clinic. And this was just something I'd never even thought of, where literally they might have had four people and they've got, you know, how many different appointments they've got. And they've had to tell four people their babies have died. Mm. And literally they're going, oh, God, please tell me that this is a... And they're, they're being on the target, you know, the amount of people and things they've got to get through. And so it's it, that was just really helpful for me because on the one hand, of course, I'm going, oh, there's huge problems and this, but it's also... It's also just helpful, I think, for us to have these conversations and to understand because we're not going to be able to fix things or make no. things better if we don't talk about these things. And that's no. why it's great that we are having these conversations. And, you yeah. know, there is fantastic work by things like, you know, the Miscarriage Association, Tommy's and all kinds of things, all the stuff that you guys are doing and all these kinds of things that we're having these conversations because there is no right answer, but we'll only make it better if we kind of rumble on through and we'll get it wrong yeah. and it's better to try and get it wrong though than not to try at all right yeah but equally it's also that we have to have the dialogue so this is the other thing is that we all know miscarriage bingo or infertility bingo where someone says you know at least it was early or why don't you or have mm-hmm. you tried 
and you know, we all want to scream or you know have you thought about adoption blah 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 but the thing that I also thought was that it's a vicious cycle because people don't know what to say and generally most people mean well most people aren't trying to be yeah. assholes they're just getting it wrong yeah they don't know what to say and it's human nature that we want to try and fix things. And the fact is, is that it really doesn't feel right to just say, I don't have anything. This is really, I don't know what to say. Yeah. But unless, and it's something that's going back, unless we actually say to people, this isn't helpful, but not yeah. just this isn't helpful. This is what we want you what, to say. what is helpful. And yeah, it's sure. like, well, unless we do that, people aren't going to know. And it's no. not just saying what not to say, but it was when I, you know, and I wrote something for Metro and things, have, and it was so amazing, some of the feedback that I got, of people saying, oh, I sent this round to people. And it was unbelievable because I said, look, you can't fix this. Mm. There's nothing you can say or do to fix this. So don't try. It's totally, all you need to do is say, I'm really sorry. It's totally okay to say, I don't know what to say. How can I support you? Yeah. And actually, and you know, there's other things that I wrote in this piece um, about saying, you know, tell us, you know, we want to know, you know, don't hide your pregnancy, but please send us the text before you baby bomb us on Facebook or turn up and see it in face to face. And it was amazing because I had, it was going back to a uh, leaving do, uh, you know, for a former colleague. And I got this text from um, someone who had been a former colleague of mine. And uh, we weren't, you know, we cordial, but, you know, she basically, she got my number, some, you know, mutual colleagues. Um, because she read my piece and she wanted to text me before Aww. we met up to tell me that she was pregnant. Oh. And I was just, I, I made me so emotional. Yeah, so, you know, and it was so lovely that something had kind of come back. But she was like, no, now I know about that. And, and that was fantastic yeah. because yeah. not just that it made a difference to not turning up and being baby bombed. Yeah. So it's by having these conversations, it does. And she people. will do that for everyone now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like mean, that's that. the thing. So when I would do the, you know, I'm quite mouthy. So when, I, when somebody would No, do, really? Don't I don't know, get that from you. Why don't you, <laughs> when you get the, why don't you just adopt? And then I'd go into the whole, you know, why don't you, you know, explaining, going, do you know how to, you know... It's not just like, you know, all the pre, you know, we all know what people's preconceptions are and that they yeah. don't actually understand. And my husband rightly said at some point, kind of just going, don't do it, but just kind of the emotional energy of going, they're not all, he said, you know, they're not mm. all going to run and tell all their mates, hey, guys, 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 guess what? Adoption is not as easy as we thought. No, but they are going to think next time. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that that's enough. Yeah, that is enough. As you were saying earlier, Katie, it's you have to do you. So if you uh, are faced with that and you're just not feeling it and you just don't want to do it, you you could equally just go, mm, yeah, thanks. You know, exactly. if you there run is no up for it right, that time, there is there's no, no right, right or wrong. wrong answer. Exactly. And so because I am gobby and I get my, you know, how my healing process is part of, you know, how do I change stuff? I feel like, well, if I can do it so that other people who don't feel they do maybe it'll make a difference to that yeah and totally and I guess sort of skipping right ahead to the what happened with my journey was we did more IVF and it, things were getting worse and worse and worse and then by my fourth cycle it was the kind of the last ditch we tried all sorts of experimental treatments for my lining like gone really into the realms of okay four people have tried this but what have we got <laughs> we'll give to it lose? a go we'll yeah. give it a go um, and I did get pregnant, but that didn't really get off the ground. So, so again, I needed another ERPC. And then I was essentially for the next six or nine months, we were essentially working on my lining to try and it was kind of like going to the gym. So every month we were, I was taking loads of hormones just to try and get me to have a period. So we were having all these kind of cancelled cycles every month for like six yeah. months. So it became like, because I had to do injections because HRT didn't work and it was all very long boring and complicated. But essentially it got that taking the sharps bins out became like taking the bins out. So every right. month 
basically life was just what happened between dildo cam and it was getting worse and worse and worse and worse <laughs> and eventually you know we were you know the idea was that we were going to do one more go and if we really couldn't get but I just never you know my lining just got worse and worse and worse and worse so I never actually got that that final go so I literally only had two transfers and two pregnancies and two miscarriages but I couldn't even get off the starting block so it really has this kind of really fucked up thing where I would get jealous of people who'd had said oh I had you know multiple miscarriages in a short space of time this is how fucked up it was because I would have that thought process of going, well, at least you can get pregnant. Now, obviously Mm. I would want to thump anyone that said at least, because of course the point is you're still at the same point. Yeah. It's not a real baby. Still still no baby. But in my mind it was going, but I can't, you know, if you're playing I can't even do that. Ladders, I can't even get off the starting block. Yeah. So it felt yeah. like if you're rushing up the ladders, even though you're falling down the snakes, it felt like, well, you've got more of a chance of getting there. And the fact is that it's all just fucking awful. Yeah. And there's no guarantee of anything. And that, but, as you said, that is a massive head fuck, right? That is yeah. a mental health bomb right there. Yeah. The fact that you are jealous of people that have had more miscarriages <laughs> yeah. it means that they got further along in a pregnancy yeah. before their baby died. I mean, yeah. that's nuts. It's total head fuck. And it's this thing if you go, well, but there is this also this thing that when you're going through infertility, and I remember having a conversation with some academics, actually, because they were looking at um, measures for a paper of, you know, they were doing. And I said, look, actually, you need to measure the difference between pregnancy and loss and live birth because there is this thing actually for some people who are having when you're going through fertility treatment it can feel that although the at least you can get pregnant in one sense it's even worse because you go well I wish I'd never gone through the pain and I'm still in a baby but there was also this thing of going but at least I can get pregnant just because it was going well at least I got implantation so especially also if you're going through multiple different things if you've never had implantation before and you're trying something different the head fuck is you go ah but I got further at that stage so there's yeah. this thing where you go ah but yeah. I got further that stage so if I got further that stage I can do it again and the fact is is that maybe but also maybe not. maybe not maybe not and that's the really mm. awful thing mm. so and i think that's the thing is, is it's all just shit but also we all have very different experiences oh, so yeah. there is no hierarchy of loss but mm. there is also differences in different experiences so there is a difference in experiencing very late loss and very early loss not one's not worse than the other but they're different there mm. is a difference between having lost a pregnancy after maybe multiple multiple you know infertility and that may be your one shot that's mm. not better or worse and mm. that's the thing is that but it feels like we can't acknowledge the differences without getting into a pissing contest about yeah. who has it worse yeah. right but also what i've always felt about miscarriage is that and we were saying this earlier is that the miscarriage is like the tip of the iceberg and what yeah. happens underneath the sea is absolutely yeah. huge because yeah. we are all individual Totally. We are all individual, individual. We all have our own lives. We've all had our, our own journey up till now. Yeah. So when you miscarriage, miscarriages as a whole and pregnancy loss are so different. You know, a, yeah. a termination, from, termination for medical reasons is so incredibly, as you say, different to a missed miscarriage, for example. But it's also different that, and this was a thing, I, you know, a piece that I wrote for The Guardian about the language of pregnancy loss. And my thing was saying, as we talked about, you know, products of conception, saying... <laughs> You know, when you're going through your antenatal treatment, the NHS calls it your baby, but then as soon as it's not viable, yeah. it's products of conception. It's like yeah. a negative. Yeah, almost. but I said, but, and this is where you kind of get into person. I said, the fact is that the meaning of any pregnancy 
is defined by that woman and that couple. Yeah. So there are some people who, if they have a loss, who they don't want to think about it as a baby because they deal with it by thinking, okay, it was a fetus. Where, you know, lots of us where we go, no, but that was my baby. And the fact is, is that again, there is no right or wrong answer. Yeah. You know, there are some people who do deal with, you know, do feel differently about a, that awful word, chemical pregnancy, a very, very early loss. And other people where don't. And the fact is, is that there is no right or wrong. So they are all different, all different experiences, and they are all unique to us and all yeah. individual. Yeah, mm. we just need to stop the the judgment and the shame that mm. that goes alongside it. And they're also different between you know different miscarriages or different cycles or different experiences can be very different for the same person. Yeah. You know, so that's why I said there is no right or wrong answer because also. I know that when we, you know, when when you're going through something, the way that you want some people to support you on one day might be very different to how you yeah, exactly. want a different day. Yeah. So I think it's really about, as we say, being able to have a dialogue and being able to feel empowered that we can say, this is how I'm feeling, but also yeah. tell people going, this is what I need or this is yeah, what I don't, you know, and, and for, not to feel weird because that was the thing. Like I remember saying, I, literally it was when some, as you said so clearly, you said it was around the way we talk about it is about managing other people's reactions. Mm. And actually when you go, oh, I'm worried about how other people are going to feel. And actually if we could lift ourselves of that rather than going, oh, I'm going to make somebody else feel awkward. And actually yeah. you go, but you know what? It's okay. You probably will feel awkward, but I don't need to feel guilty about that. And you don't yeah. need to feel guilty about that. And we'll just kind of rumble through this. And then it'd be easier for the next person that's in that situation with that yeah. with that person. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's certainly such a, a complex situation and a complex thing that is treated as one little miscarriage thing swept under the carpet and going, oh, that's miscarriage, don't talk. Yeah, and, and again, it's the... The Chrissy Teigen one uh, is really interesting because, again, I don't know exactly what stage she was, but I think she was quite further along. So, again, we have the thing of the 20-week mark where before 20 weeks, it's a miscarriage. After 20 weeks, certainly in the UK, it's still, you know, it's considered as... Uh, no, sorry. Tw- 24 yeah, weeks. 24 weeks, it's a stillbirth, sorry, because that's obviously the age of um, viability. So, uh, yeah, pre-24, it's a miscarriage. Post-24, it's a stillbirth. But actually, there isn't really, you know, it's not like one's a baby and one isn't. No. Again, it's that sort of difference. And so, as you say, there's this one big bucket, whereas people are saying, well, actually, Chrissy Teigen's is a stillbirth or not a miscarriage. But actually, these are all incredibly different experiences. Yeah. And... Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all just really shit, but it's having these conversations is what, is what makes the difference. And that's why for me, it's about having those difficult conversations. So it makes people uncomfortable when I say, people say, oh, do you have children? No, I can't have them, which then sometimes often then will lead into people doing the, have you tried? Yeah, of course. But as you say, it's this thing of people don't want to accept that sometimes there isn't an answer to things. Yeah. Because we it's don't diff- want to think like that. It's scary. It is yeah. scary. Like, it's scary because we want to think that we can control everything. Mm. And you go, oh, I think horror. everyone also just expects, and we talked to Claire a little bit about this, everyone expects a baby to fix everything. So yeah. no matter what pain you've gone through, oh, she's all right though because she's had a baby yeah. now. So if you went on and had a, a surrogacy, there would be so many emotions and feelings attached to the fact that another woman was carrying yeah, a child. And, of course, and there all was. different experiences. So again, I mean, if, I, you know, I've heard from so many women again who say that you know, you know, the trauma and and you know, the PTSD of of infertility and loss 
doesn't go away. You know, mm-hmm. um, fertility treatment cures it cures childlessness. It doesn't cure infertility. Yeah, yeah. And and so you know, so many people you know said you know I felt like a fake mummy or I didn't feel like I could relate to other people. You know, so for me, why do I have ended up doing all this kind of writing and talking and all this kind of stuff and thinking about trying to write a book was because when we reach the end of the road with my body, and again, there's different ways that things might go, but certainly the thing of going, I am never going to carry a child. I am never going to be, you know, the, as pr- the miscarriage I had, that's as pregnant as I'm ever going to get. There's a sense of going, well, if I don't have kids, what's my legacy? How will anyone know I'll hear? What's, you know, what's the point of me? And, and, the fact is, is that our worth isn't defined by the productivity of our wombs. The you know, yeah. it's the contribution we put that, that we pressure make to on ourselves, world. don't we? Yeah, and we, I don't think we even put that pressure on ourselves. I think that's like society, society for yeah. centuries before us, d- yeah. absolutely valuing a woman by by whether or not she can bear children. But, but I think if you can come to terms with that and you can change your mindset, you can live a completely fulfilling life without children for me it was that I kind of go but I wanted to know will I be okay yeah you know eventually will I be okay if this doesn't happen will I be okay or will I feel like this forever and is there much support out there Katie well there is there and that's the thing is that if, in the, where would you know, someone is, go to if they wanted to find support on being childless, not by choice gateway women so that was the community that was founded by um Jodie Day um it's a fantastic and there's some great there's a podcast called the full stop podcast um, but yeah, Gateway Women is a whole community of uh, all about being, you know, childless, not by choice. And there's some other Facebook groups, but I would say Gateway Women um, and the Full Stop Podcasters as a kind of starting point. But the fact is, is that for me, it was around, you know, they were fantastic resources. And I had the book, but it was assuming you were at that point where you were accepting, I'm not going to have children. Right. Or, this is my life. Yeah. And I wasn't. I was in this in-between stage where I was going... There's still hope if, that I could do this. Yeah, or just, but, you know, kind of what... I wasn't ready to say, accept that it wasn't going to happen because mm. I, was, I wasn't at that point. So for me, that's why kind of having... Where this kind of the, my handle, the Uber Barons Club, came from, it came from a thing on Mumsnet where there was a whole load of us who were on in the infertility boards and we jokingly referred to it as the Baron Ghetto because obviously it's a big parenting website and we go, well, that's where the Baron women go. <laughs> Um, and there were obviously lots and lots of people who were in the kind of baby dust unicorn. And that was great. But we were people who were further along. We were jaded, cynical bitches. Yeah. And we were at the, you know, this is really shit. What happens if we don't get there? And we called ourselves the Uber Barons. And it was, you know, just a, like irreverent thing. And actually, so it was going, we're not just infertile. We're really, really infertile. And when I say infertile, that could be people who'd had multiple losses. It was, it was having, having difficulty, having a, you know, wanting a baby and yeah. having lots of issues getting there. And so it's that, it's that space of saying this is difficult and this is hard and acknowledging that it might, it might, but it also might not. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that we're there for each other and it's okay to feel all the feels. Yeah, you don't sure. have to be positive the whole time because you have that thing of going, you know, if you think negatively, you won't happen. No, you manage things for your mental health. You cannot, you cannot relax yourself pregnant. You cannot think yourself pregnant. Yes, you hear that, Bex. so true. Yeah. Airy fairy. Well, the thing if you look in um, fecundity rates of war zones, like conflict zones and famine zones, that women have babies in conflict zones, in war zones, the fecundity Mm. rates are the same, you know, literally. I mean, if stress, people would never, you know, people who've had recurrent loss or I guess people would never have babies if stress stopped you getting pregnant or having a baby. So it's, it's taking this pressure off and saying, you do you. If you want to be positivity and that's great. 
Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But equally, if you just want to be going, this is fucking shit, I need to be with some other cynical people and be able to know yeah. that that's okay. That's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Oh, gosh. This has been such an interesting chat. Thank you so much. It's been completely enlightening. Yeah. No, I love your you. passion. Yeah, I do. I wonder well, if, you, if you've been taking any drugs before. Or... <laughs> no, I'm just very, very gobby. <laughs> I love that too. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. It's been so great talking to you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will speak to you again tomorrow. Bye. Please, please, guys, if you have enjoyed our podcast this week, rate, review, share, and let's get this taboo smashed. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.